Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. This episode is supported by FreeAgent, the online accounting software that makes self-assessment and VAT easy. They've been making tax digital for years. To claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. And support also comes from With Jack. They help keep you in business by supporting you financially or legally if you have problems with a client. Get the freelance insurance you deserve. A With Jack policy starts at just £14 a month and with zero cancellation fees and monthly plans, you have complete control over your protection. Visit withjack.co.uk and be a confident freelancer. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for composer and sound designer, Joe Basile. One of the things that I definitely told myself when I started freelancing full-time is like diversify as much as possible. There is always kind of the fire drill scenario where you get an email at 3.30 in the afternoon saying like, hey, we need this like today. I really just set expectations with the client on what's possible. Try my best to not really let the quality of work drop based on a timeline. Really just adjust the scope of what needs to happen within the timeline. There are times I kind of think, do I want to go back to just working a day job? We had an accounting department and project managers and account managers and human resources for, you know, handling your health insurance. Now it's like you do all of that stuff yourself when you run your own business. Yeah, so there is Joe coming up in a moment, nearly at 200. I can't believe how close we are to 200 guests. Our 200th episode will be coming out just before Christmas, a live episode that we're doing at the Underpinned Freelancers Christmas Party. Yeah, man, 200 episodes. You can catch them all wherever you get your podcasts. Also at beingfreelance.com. If you've listened to a whole chunk of them but never left a review, then that would be amazing if you'd think about doing that. If you also are out and about as we head towards the festive period, you like having drinks or seeing people, I don't know, imagine that, then help spread the word. Maybe write it in some Christmas cards. (laughs) My gift to you is the gift of listening to Being Freelance. Yeah, just tell Help other people about it, basically. Help spread the word. That would be amazing. I'd really appreciate that. And come and join a whole community of freelancers from around the world online in the Being Freelance community. There is a link at beingfreelance.com. Oh, and I tell you what else is at the website. We've done an article of gift ideas for freelancers. So if, if people in your life are going, hmm, I don't know what to get you for Christmas, send them that link. Just send them that link and who knows, you might get something you really like off that. There's some really nice stuff in there. Not just stuff from big organisations, but stuff from like small independent designers and freelancers as well. Go take a look. There's a list of gifts for freelancers at beingfreelance.com. Anyway, let's crack on, shall we? And chat to this week's guest. And that is freelance composer and sound designer, Joe Basile. Hey, Joe. Hello. Hello, Steve. Okay, as ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Gosh, I've taken quite a meandering path. I mean, to kind of start way back, uh, I mean, I've been making music forever um, since I was just a kid. So yeah, I I went to school for music. I got my bachelor's degree in commercial and electronic music. Then I did an internship at a place in New York called Ant Food Music and Sound Design. Seven, eight months. At the time, it was a very small company. It was kind of like my first taste into like working on 
real world projects. It's a much different ball game when you're working on something that has, you know, a heavy budget behind it. It was a very humbling experience because I went to a, a pretty small school, you know, and I felt kind of like a big fish in a small pond. It was beneficial for me to kind of be thrown into that type of environment to kind of see what I kind of had to do mm. um, and, and the skills that the skill level that was out there. So what did you do next after that eight months or so interning? Well, I honestly, I kind of took a break from it for probably about three years. I grew up in North Carolina and I moved back to North Carolina. I waited tables for about 10 months, lived at home with my parents, bartended a little bit. I kind of was doing a couple of freelance projects here and there. And so in terms of being an independent freelancer, that's when it kind of started, um, even though it was very, very small projects that I was working on, um, but still work nonetheless that did pay. Yeah, so I waited tables for a bit. I started kind of climbing the corporate ladder at a uh, architectural hardware distributor, selling doors and frames and locks and... What made you take that step back, having been dived deep into the thing that you wanted to do? Well, I think there was part of me at the time that really wasn't sure that I really wanted to do it. Oh, right. um, to be honest, I uh, and I think I needed to kind of take that step back. I mean, there was you know some personal things also that I was kind of dealing with at the time, and uh, I think I just kind of needed to just kind of reset. And just know, like, is this really what you want to do? Because, I mean, financially, it wasn't working out very well at the time. Um, I was living in New York right at the height of the financial crisis, uh, or shortly thereafter, I should say. And it was just not a very good time uh, to be trying to make it in the music industry. And so I just kind of, I started kind of going the safe route, started, you know, climbing the corporate ladder at this company. Um, I was doing really well. I worked there for about two years, uh, and then just one day, I just decided I really hated it. <laughs> just <laughs> really, really hated it. And um, and I had a long conversation with a good friend of mine who had recently started uh, a master's program uh, in music, and he was just telling me, he was like, man, it just sounds like you just need to kind of immerse yourself in music again to kind of get back into it. And so that's ultimately what I ended up doing. I went back to school. I got my master's degree. And it's kind of funny how that worked out is when I started back in school, the freelance work just kind of blew up. Um, I just started getting a lot of different projects happening. I don't know if that's also kind of where the whole social media age, this was around 2013 or so. It was much more commonplace just to have social media everywhere around that time. That's when I think what's kind of been driving the industry even to this day. Um, and so, yeah, at that time, the freelance work just kind of started blowing up. Um, I just started getting a lot of different projects um, that I was having to juggle while I was taking classes and things like that, which was, was a challenge in itself. But yeah, then after I finished graduate school, I, uh, I taught for one semester at that same school as an adjunct professor uh, part-time. So that actually allowed me to kind of put a little bit more time into doing freelance work while having like a steady income of, of being a part-time teacher. And then after that, I shifted into, I, I got a position as an in-house composer at a marketing agency. 
through some connections that I had from where I went to school, actually, um, a bunch of us kind of have all gone through, uh, this one kind of agency in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah. I started doing that still continuing to freelance here and there. Wow. Just to pause slightly. Sure. When you were getting that freelance work, like when you were climbing the corporate ladder and then suddenly increased when you went back to school, where were you getting that work from? How were you putting yourself out there and finding work? It's so funny how these things work where, you know, a friend of mine from like middle school, he had kind of started doing some creative direction on some smaller projects that I had kind of just helped him out on. This was while, during that time when I was like bartending after my internship. And there was an animator that he had worked with on those same projects. And that animator ended up asking him, hey, do you know of any like sound designers or music composers? I've got like a little project I'm trying to work on. And so that little project ended up turning into a series of like several videos. And then through that one animator... That's where a lot of this freelance work came from, just through that one initial connection. And then once I started building a portfolio of that work, I could start actually cold calling and like marketing myself to people that I didn't know directly. You know, it's fun that animator would work with other animators and then they would ask him and then he would refer me. And it's kind of just like that spider web mm. of, of networking. Um, that's at least how I got my start. That's cool. When it came to cold calling, were you literally cold calling? Were you emailing? Like, what were you I doing? did do a little bit of that. Gosh, I mean, I still do some of that to, to this day. Um, it's the type of thing where I think you always have to be able to put yourself out there like that. A lot of the, the responses I got were, okay, we'll put you on our list. And then that list is, you know, the trash can sitting next to their <laughs> desk. Um, because, I mean, these people, they just, they get bombarded with people just like me. But, I mean, some of those uh, cold calls did end up kind of working out in that it at least made an introduction so that later on, if I was able to get a more direct connection, I could say like, oh, yeah, we spoke at this point, actually, you know, and then, you know, we could ha kind of have a point to refer back to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, cold cold calling, it's, it's not necessarily... Uh, the most effective way of doing it. But I think that there is, there's value in doing, in doing things like that into reaching out to people that you just, you don't know. Hmm. So back in your story, you're in-house in a marketing agency and you're the in-house composer. What's, what year was that? Um, I started there in April of 2015. Um, I was one of uh, three. So there was actually three of us total at that, at that marketing agency. Three composers? Yes. Three wow. in-house composers. Yeah. It was, it was pretty remarkable, especially in a place like Raleigh, North Carolina, to have that sort of salaried position, especially three of them at a marketing agency. But it's a very kind of unique setup that they have there. But yeah, I, uh, I did that for two years. And it was challenging to work in, in, in an agency as an in-house composer because the sheer number of projects that you work on is, I mean, it was quite a lot. You know, I, I just kind of wanted to branch out a little bit in my skill set. And so what I ended up doing is I ended up um, leaving that job and working for one year at a video production company um, in Durham, which is about 30 minutes from Raleigh. 
I did that for about a year and I worked as a field audio engineer, basically do recording interviews. Yeah. Just mainly doing like live action shoots for corporate video, some narrative work, but yeah, mostly corporate video. I was still doing music composing though. And it was the type of thing where I think I always, I still wanted to do that more than I was. Um, and eventually I just kind of had some freelance opportunities come along where I felt confident that I could kind of take the, the leap into doing it full time. So after about a year of working at that production company, I just decided like, let's just try it. You know, the way I kind of, I saw it is I just, I really wanted to put myself out there and just see what could happen. And, uh, then, uh, that was about 18 months ago. <laughs> Whoa. So at that point, when you had those bits of work come in, was that still coming via connections that you made then? It was kind of a mix. It was a mix of connections that I had made at both that agency with um, with some people that had worked there that had left and started their own companies. Um, it was through the connections that I had had since I started freelancing at the very beginning. Those clients, I still I still do work with them to this day. I mean, 10 years later. One of the things that I definitely told myself when I started freelancing full-time is like diversify as much as possible in terms of the types of work, the clients you're working with, and then kind of figure out where within all of those projects and kind of uh, like marketing genres, you can almost mm. think of them, like where I kind of fit in the best. And lately it's been mostly in animation, that seems to be kind of the big driving force behind what I've been able to do and the kind of business that I've been able to run has been large in part because of the success of the animation industry. Because the cost is lower to produce an animation where you have one person, maybe a, a small team of people working on you know, an animation, because that cost is lower, it opens up the budget to do things like original music or sound design. And and to be honest, I think original music and sound design can really shine with animation because there are things that you can do with video effects and motion graphics that you just can't really accomplish as easily in live action shoots. Mm. And so I think that that has been where I've been able to kind of capitalize on that growth in the animation industry. So you have a number of different clients that you're working with. At, yes. at any point. How do you manage your workload? What do you do if loads of them come along at once? Um, that's, that's always a, a tricky thing when you're an independent freelancer. I, um, one thing that I find, first of all, to really just try to mitigate those types of situations as much as possible up front. And what I mean by that is, is if a client reaches out to me about a project and they say, oh, we think this might be happening this time. And, you know, I kind of, I'll mark that down in the calendar. And then I pretty consistently try to follow up on projects. Just if, if nothing else, just to know like, okay, what's my schedule really looking like? And okay, like this week looks like this is going to be pretty crazy. Do I need to like, occasionally I will reach out to people and ask for like backup on projects. Um, if I think that I'm going to be really swamped. And I just, I don't want to drop the ball on anything. I mean, I'll, I'll ask people, you know, can you help out with sound design 
or doing a mix on this, things like that. Um, so I do have kind of like uh, a few people that I know of that I can kind of tap and say like, hey, this week is going to be pretty crazy. Do you think that you could help out with this um, and kind of get out in front of that ahead of time? Um, that said, there is always kind of the fire drill scenario where you get an email at 3.30 in the afternoon saying like, hey, we need this like today. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, to be honest, I really just kind of set really set expectations with the client on what's possible and then try my best to not really let the quality of work drop based on a timeline, really just kind of adjust the scope of what needs to happen within the timeline. Um, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So it's more about what can effectively be delivered or perhaps how much right. it might cost if it's quick. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, always forecasting, trying to figure out, okay, this week looks like it's going to be pretty crazy. Okay. This week looks a little lighter. So maybe that's going to be like a biz dev week. And then like kind of just, and then, you know, during weeks like that, I can be a little more responsive to last minute requests and things like that. I mean, I will say one of the benefits of working at that marketing agency for two years was we did a lot of projects that were on very tight timelines. And so I think working in that environment allowed me to really hone my skills technically so that, I mean, the technical side of it just becomes second nature. And so it's, I can really just know like exactly what I need to do, how I need to do it to get things out on a tight timeline. Um, so I will say, I think that that was one skill that I really, really learned when I was at that agency. Yeah. And you mentioned the pressure that you noticed when you first interned. So, so you've become, it sounds like you're doing well at dealing with that uh, potential overwhelming amount of work. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to, to do pretty well under pressure. Um, it's the type of thing where, especially for like broadcast pieces where there's a, uh, where there's an actual, like this has to air on this date, like that or event pieces. That's another thing that I've done quite a bit of where, okay, here's the deadline. Like the event is happening. They've rented the space. They need this video to show <laughs> there. And so like, you know, it's, it's the type of thing where you, you just learn how to kind of manage yourself and project manage and, and set milestones and set expectations with the client. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's, we're dealing with that pressure is, yeah, is definitely a skill within itself. So it's been 18 months. Tell me, where does the chicken fit into all of this? Where does the chicken fit? Uh, okay. All right. So I was freelancing kind of like under my name, Joe Basile Music for a long time. Which was fine, except I, I always liked the idea of kind of having a, uh, a brand or like an identity or something like that. And so I decided, you know, to kind of come up with a name for a business or a studio. And when I was working at that marketing agency, it, it, was, a very, um, it was a very unique situation where we had one room, and that was the room that I and the other two composers worked in. But we also, in that room, were animators, video editors, directors. I mean, just a lot of different skill sets all in one, like, 30-foot by 30-foot room. We used to just, like, joke around a lot. <laughs> and um, and it was to the point where, I mean, those are some of my best friends to this day. And 
it was it, to the point where for some reason I just started calling everyone chicken. I don't know why. And to the point where I remember at one point there was an art director there. Um, he came up to me and he said, Hey Joe, do you think, um, you could have this music for me by four 30 today? And I was like, yeah, only if you bring me some chicken first, like kind of sarcastic, but just, I mean, just kidding around. <laughs> and sure enough, 30 minutes later, there was uh, Popeye's chicken sitting right <laughs> on my desk. And I mean, it was, it just kind of became this joke. And I remember my last day there, one of the animators brought me a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> I have a, I have, I have a mask that they gave me as like a gift on my last day there. It was just kind of this joke. And I remember talking to a friend of mine trying to come up with business names. And I was like, well, what if it was called just something silly like the chicken? And he was like, dude, that's awesome. You should, you should do that. And then sure enough, the chicken.net was available. So I bought it immediately. And uh, yeah, that's kind of just how it, how it went. And so is the chicken different to Joe Basile music? Um, not really. Um, not at least at this point, I guess, you know, one of the benefits of, of having it as the chicken, as opposed to Joe Basile music is that it does kind of provide a little bit more opportunity. If I either wanted to hire someone at some point, or if I work with other people, it can kind of be under this umbrella of the chicken. And then kind of, I could credit people individually after that. But I think it's there's something beneficial to having kind of two sides to it where the chicken is me, um, but it can also, <laughs> I know, I never get quite used to saying that, but um, it's also kind of like this brand of music and sound design that I'm kind of trying to push also. So like a certain sound. Sure. Feel. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that I've, I've started developing kind of like my own aesthetic, um, especially since I started freelancing full time that. Yeah, that I really can kind of lean into. Hmm. And uh, do you do, because I'm aware, mainly because I make videos, but just as with, uh, I don't know, you could go and buy a web template or a video template or whatever, you can go and buy stock music just to say yes. you can get stock footage. And clearly you, by creating bespoke music, um, offer a higher level product. But I'm wondering, like, have you gone down that route of like creating, you know, off the shelf products of music that people can come along and buy as well? Yes. Um, so short answer to that is yes. It's one thing that is just kind of the reality of the industry is where not every project is going to be able to have original music, nor, in my opinion, should every single project have original music. There are some projects where it's just not quite as needed. You know, people might come after me with pitchforks for saying something like that, but I think that, or maybe a better way of putting it is there are certain projects where original music will bring much higher value than others. And so I think being able to have a library of music that people can license is very, very effective. And that's one thing that I've really tried to kind of push, especially since I first started freelancing full time is creating kind of a small library of music that I own and that I can license out or customize for people. I mean, sometimes it's the type of thing where someone, they like this track, but they'd rather have this type of instrument, you know, than this, you know, they want a violin rather than a glockenspiel or something like that. And so I think it's really beneficial and where I think the value that I can add where it's, 
not just, okay, we'll just pull this library track out and throw it in the video where like, you know, there are some websites out there. That's exactly what you do. You pay, you know, 30 or $40 and you buy a, a piece of music and then you just put it in the video and that's it. Where I try and kind of add value to stock music is kind of working as a consultant with a client saying like, okay, here's the options for my library. Here's why I think they would work well. Here's what we could possibly do to them to customize them so that they fit more with the video without having to write an entire piece of music from scratch. Mm. And does that come about when a client approaches you, but they don't have the budget and then you'll go, well, that's okay. And so instead of dropping your prices, you go, I've got these ready-made ones. What do you think to these? Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's the type of thing where, yeah, I mean, you, if you can kind of show, okay, if you can't afford original music, well, here's the next best option is if we really try and, you know, tailor this stock music track to, you know, what the video is doing. You know, one thing that I think I, I do enjoy about the type of music that I write is I try and kind of keep things pretty dynamic where, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to make some interesting edits in the music and so that it can feel more tailored to the video than maybe something that I might just write with no prompt, you know? Um, so I do try and kind of, whenever I write a video for a project, as long as the licensing terms are such, I will keep the rights to that music to license it out later on. So that's kind of how, that's kind of how I handle that. And do you sell these pieces of music via other sites as well, or do you just do it yourself? No, I just do it myself. I had looked into doing that at one point, but a lot of these sites, um, they take a significant chunk of what is already a very low fee that they charge. <laughs> it's not always the case. There are some websites out there that you know charge a premium price, and I think rightfully so, but there are a lot of websites out there where They'll say, okay, if you let us have exclusive rights to license this track, we will give you 35%. If you give us non-exclusive rights to license this track, we'll give you, you know, 20%. I mean, it can be very, very low. And in my opinion, I mean, yes, they're providing the conduit for selling the music and, and licensing it out. I just, I, I, it never made financial sense to me. Um, you know, I, I suppose that if you get, you know, the number one track on one of these stock music websites, then, you know, maybe you can get quite a bit of money from that. But yeah, I just, I kind of want to set my, my own music kind of apart from that type of, uh, that type of library. Yeah. No, I like that. I like the fact that you, instead of turning people away who are coming to you, so you, you, you're sticking with that relationship, but you're just offering them different possibilities faced right. with the reality of real budgets in the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I also really try, I mean, it's the type of thing where sometimes if the budget is so low, you know, I'll tell them like, Hey, I can search some websites for you for something that I think would work. Okay. Um, but I'll always throw in, you know, some of my own library tracks as well and say like, if you can just up it a little bit, like <laughs> we can use this. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, Every every project is different in how in how I need to kind of approach 
that sort of scoping. Yeah. And how about how how you work? Are you working from home or? Um, so currently, yes, I do have a studio set up uh, uh, in our house, which is always a challenge uh, and a benefit in a lot of ways. I mean, there's I mean, anyone who works from home will tell you all the benefits that there are of working from home. Um, you know, moving into a third party location, I think would be really, really great. It's something that I definitely would like to do. It's it's a goal of mine, um, but it just at the same time, it has to make financial sense. The setup that I have right now is honestly pretty great as far as home studios can go. How about like the social part of your day? Like by working from oh, home, yeah. do you get to see anyone? Or <laughs> um, So that's, yeah, that's definitely one of the cons to working from home. I think working in audio and you probably, I mean, you probably know this as well. When you work in sound, it is by nature an isolating <laughs> type of work. Um, and it's just by the the sheer nature of the craft where, you know, if I'm a graphic designer, I can go work at a co-working space, put my earbuds in, listen to music, work on my, you know, graphic design. And someone else is doing the same exact thing next to me. Someone's doing the same thing next to them. Across from them is a web designer. You know, someone's doing project management. All of these things you can do with other people around you and not bother them. But with music and sound, we're kind of like the black sheep <laughs> where it's like we're kind of just cast out a little bit because we I mean, we just make noise. It's just it's just the sheer, <laughs> sheer reality of it is we just make noise. And because of that, we have to kind of isolate ourselves. Um, and so that's kind of yeah, in terms of the, the social aspect of it. That's something I've always been kind of accustomed to is kind of working alone in kind of like a quiet room. But um, working from home, yeah, that is definitely a challenge. I'm on Slack a lot with several different animators and music composers and sound designers uh, because we're all kind of like doing the same thing. But I have thought about uh, trying to get a co-working space or some kind of office space for that very reason, just to have a place that I could go and work and be around other people, um, go to a lot of coffee shops. Um, I try and, you know, meet with clients pretty regularly to kind of just get out there. I have a wonderful wife that I love talking to and, you know, um, you know, but she works as well. So is she out of the house during the day? Yes, she is. She so is. She um, comes back and you're like a puppy at the door. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, she's actually, she's a veterinarian. So she, she works pretty odd hours, uh, and has a pretty demanding schedule too. So, you know, I've been really, really fortunate to kind of have her because the other reality of this industry is, is it's just, it's very demanding at times, as I'm sure, you know, I mean, it's the type of thing where, you know, you could be working at nine, 10 o'clock at night to get something out by 8am the next day. Um, you know, and so that's something that's been very beneficial uh, for, you know, for us is that we can be very understanding of, of each other's demanding careers. And so do you get to go to any events or like go anywhere or like have any communities or meetups or, or anything like that? Or, or is it more online? Um, yes. So I do get to go to um, a fair amount of meetups and events and stuff. I, I went to a conference in Vancouver recently called Blend, which is an animation conference, which was a lot of fun. It was a whole lot of fun. It was 
very intense, a lot of socializing. It was kind of like the opposite end of the spectrum uh, from my day to day where, you know, I usually don't do a whole ton of socializing during the day. But when I went out to blend, it was like crazy amount of socialization. Um, but so, I'd, yeah, I do, I do things like that. I try to travel a bit. I try and connect with the community as well. Um, there's definitely a good community here in Philadelphia. I've tried to kind of get involved with that. We just moved here about a little over a month ago. So um, I'm still kind of trying to meet a lot of people here in the city. Funnily enough, um, you mentioning that has triggered, because I, I come across the various people that I speak to in various different ways. And I seem to remember, like, did somebody use you in a talk, like a slide? Um, so... That was uh, Ambrose Yu. Um, he spoke at Blend um, and he kind of just, I mean, kindly enough was like, hey, here's some other people that do what I do. Ambrose is, uh, by the way, he's a really, really excellent music composer and sound designer. Um, and he, yeah, he just listed off like a bunch of people. So I, I think I must have seen you on that, or rather, I, I remember seeing the chicken, which goes to show it works, because I went, huh, who the hell's the chicken? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, And then followed the trail to find you. That's great. Yeah, I mean, I was actually wondering, <laughs> I was going to ask you how you, uh, how you came across. Yeah. Uh, but it, it goes to show, me. but it, it, was, it was probably, I don't know, in somebody's Instagram stories or in a tweet or something like that, and it, they'd taken yeah. a photo of the screen, and I just saw the screen and saw your name. I'm sure that's how it happened. Um, yeah that's really generous as well like he's up there as the sound design type person speaking to a load of motion designers and instead of keeping all that attention to himself shares yeah, it out i mean yeah absolutely i mean it's it's the type of thing where i think the motion design community has influenced the music and sound design community in that way where there's just there's a lot of work out there right now um and so you know, it used to be where like, I feel like everyone was kind of like, oh, gimme, gimme, gimme. This is my work. It's become much more collaborative um, because of the sheer amount and volume of work that's happening in the industry right now. You know, people are working together much more. And I think that's why you're kind of seeing like a very big push in the creative output of, you know, animators, music composers. I mean, the, the sheer... I mean, just everyone's pushing the envelope these days. Um, people are just much more willing to kind of just like talk to each other openly about work and about the business and about, you know, what they're doing. And yeah, I just, I think it's, it's really, really great. Yeah, it's nice. How have, how have you found the business side of things? You mean in terms of the stuff that's not making music and <laughs> yeah, sound design? Yeah, beyond yes. the creativity, the actual business bit. Um, you know, it's the type of thing where you hear it all the time from people that run their own businesses that, oh, most of what you do is not even, you know, the work. <laughs> and it's absolutely true. I mean, it's one of those things where there are times I, I kind of think, do I want to go back to just working a day job? <laughs> because, you know, we had it like the places I've worked before, we had an accounting department and project managers and account managers and you know, like human resources for, you know, handling your health insurance. Now it's like you do all of that stuff yourself when you run your own business. Um, you know, biz development, like that's a huge thing that I try and do. I mean, 
at least a few times a week. And so it's the type of thing where I think I've, I've started kind of branching out into trying to get like software tools that help with that. Um, which has been very, very effective. I couldn't promote that type of thing enough. Streamlining those tasks like accounting and contracts and invoicing, that type of thing. Um, streamlining that as much as possible is super important. At least it has been to me lately because then you can focus more time on making the work. Yeah, nice. Okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Joe? All right. So I, I did my best to kind of try and try and do this. I hope I didn't give any of this away when I was, uh, when I was speaking just now. But um, so my three are music composing was what I wanted to do ever since I was a kid. I've written over 100 pieces of music and saxophone was my first instrument. I'm pretty sure you did say you wanted to be a music composer. Or maybe you didn't. I mean, because here's the the crutch in this. Maybe you actually wanted to be an astronaut or a train driver (laughs) or whatever. And we just picked up the story at the point of music composer. So actually there could have been a long period before that where you wanted to be a paleontologist for all I know right <laughs> fact two a hundred plus I mean that sounds utterly plausible whilst it sounds like a lot of pieces of music you're, you've been doing this for a long time now three saxophone I don't who who I don't think any child like who plays the sax apart from Lisa Simpson who <laughs> play plays the saxophone when they're a child they're not as in it, they tend, there has to there's normally a gateway drug to the saxophone that's like that is true that is way. true there has to be something of the clarinet i don't know just not the, i'm saying the saxophone is the lie all right well i did play saxophone i started with saxophone as my very what? first instrument um I, yeah, so I, uh, I didn't start with clarinet. That is a very common thing. Flute also is common yes. um, because the fingering system is similar. But no, saxophone was my first instrument. I've written over 100 pieces of music for sure. I've lost count at this point, but it's definitely over 100. Oh, my God, um, it was fact one. Yeah, so music composing. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I always enjoyed writing music, but you know, honestly, even through college, it wasn't until my senior year of college that I really found that being a composer was even something that people (laughs) did. What did you want to do when you were a kid? I really wanted to be a pilot. I knew it. I, I, I even explained that one away. And then still yeah. work with it. Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Take every opportunity to grow creatively. That's what I would say. I mean, I heard someone say this at a talk that was actually at Blend recently. They said this and it really resonated with me. It was a guy named Handel Eugene, a really, really great animator that, that gave a great talk. He definitely made a good point in that every opportunity, whether it's you know, a nonsense, quote unquote, nonsense, you know, project that, you know, won't ever see the light of day in your portfolio, or if it's like a personal project that's really important to you, take every opportunity 
to grow creatively. Um, if I were to tell my much younger self, like high school younger self, I would tell myself to practice more. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of benefits to being able to play your instrument well. I mean, that's one thing that I think I'm, I'm very thankful for is that when I was in college, I really practiced quite a bit on my instrument. And it sounds very cliche to say like, oh, well, practice makes perfect, but it's, it's true. I practiced my instruments a whole lot and I'm still far from perfect, but it definitely helped me to kind of hone certain fundamental skills um, that I use every single time I, I work. Mm. Joe, it's been so good chatting to you. Uh, make sure you go to beingfreelance.com and click through as ever for all of our guests. You will find links through to everything uh, they're up to, including their social stuff, so that you can find them online and say hi. So go to beingfreelance.com. While you're there, also check out the vlog that I do about my own freelance journey and the community. Click on that and it'll take you through to a community full of other freelancers from around the world, the Being Freelance community. It would be awesome to see you in there as well. And if you're a freelancing parent, don't forget the other podcast I do is called Doing It For The Kids. Search for that. It's only about 20 minutes long. It's like a Q&A. Myself and Frankie from the Doing It For The Kids doing our best to answer your questions. So yeah, go check that out as well. But for now, Joe, thank you so much. It's been really nice talking to you and all the best being freelance. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve. Steve.